0: Hey everybody and welcome back to another MyJS story. This week we're talking to Rebecca Turner from NPM. Do you want to say hi? Hi. All right. Well, um we're going to I sent you the questions ahead of time, so we're just going to yeah. get rolling. Um but we had you on I'm trying to remember it was like 2 or 3 years ago.
1: 2 years ago, I think. Yeah. Back when NPM 3 was uh, not out yet, I think.
0: Yeah. Um, we also had a few other people from npm on uh, Forest, I think. Mm-hmm. Episode one seventy four. Man, my Google skills are just that fast. Um, <laughs> yeah, we talked about npm three. Lots of great stuff there, um, and we'll probably dig into that a little bit. Of, you know what? What's it like mm-hmm. working for npm, and what you're working mm-hmm. on these days? Uh, but let's start at the very beginning. When did you get started programming?
1: So I got started programming when I was twelve. And um, my handwriting was very slow to the point where it was impacting uh, my uh, English classes. Um, I was essentially like, drawing my letters instead of actually writing them. And um, my parents noticed this. And so they enrolled me in a typing class. And then the summer that I was learning to type, um, they borrowed an Apple II. And my dad sat down with me with an Apple Basic book and went through it with me. And that was, like, it was kind of like data company at that point. Um, uh, I was, at that point, I was sold on programming. And so I went on to PC Basic and Pascal and Assembler and C and all that good stuff from the, you know, early days.
0: (laughs) Back in the early days. I remember I was... Back before the web. Yeah, I was 13 or 14 when I I had a TI-85 calculator that I was... (laughs) had a, had basic on it and then mm-hmm. we did Pascal in one of my math classes but yeah I never took programming yeah. seriously till I was much older so it's kind of funny that you know I've talked to all these people and they're like yeah I got started when I was 12 and I was just kind of hooked ever since
1: <laughs> I mean I I spent my you know I was certain that there was no way I would make it a career um I was like and nah, uh, you know I can't imagine having to like push through those you know um, roadblocks when you're you know having a creative roadblock and it's like ah, oh, that sounds miserable I couldn't do that I couldn't do that as a job and c- clearly I'm going to do something else but it ended up being a, the path of re- least resistance um, by the time I was out of high school I managed to get a uh, internship at a local software consulting company and so then that that's what actually kick my career
0: gotcha Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Conf. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from The Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremoteconf.com.
1: That's what actually kickstarted my career.
0: Gotcha. So, uh, was your career initially in JavaScript, or did you kind of come to that through other channels?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, when I uh, no, no, I, that my first uh, my first job was in uh, was writing DOS applications. Uh, <laughs> oh, in a language <laughs> called uh, Clipper which nobody has heard of anymore uh, it was based on something called Dbase which more people have heard of uh, it was a DOS database programming environment um, we were making uh, information systems for chemical dependency clinics oh. uh, and that company was eventually sold to the Betty Ford Center actually huh. and then they said would you like to move to Palm Desert and I'm like no, no I don't want to move to Palm Desert but um, I was living in Maine at the time, so that oh, okay. was kind of a there was, a, there was a bit of a culture clash there between <laughs> Palm Springs and, you know, central Maine. So um, uh, it was actually after that, it was a, I took a year off after, after that job and uh, taught myself web programming things. So JavaScript, HTML, CGI, Perl, and got a job in an ISP after that. And so that's when I first started doing actual web stuff.
0: Really interesting. So you got into web and was this back in the the good old days before jQuery or?
1: Oh yeah. This would have been like uh, 97. Uh Uh-huh. So, you know, we were essentially having to like, I mean, JavaScript was, the potential was there. You know, we had Netscape 4, which had introduced layers and it was like, so close to being right. And then no one else is implementing it. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible. Um, you can actually like manipulate things that aren't form fields, uh, or images, but, um, uh, yeah, it, it, it was still, that was all still super primitive. Uh, so I was doing mostly Perl programming at that point, Oh wow. uh, the backend for websites.
0: Yeah, I remember doing when I got in because I got into uh, web development full time about two thousand four, two thousand five, and so jQuery was kind of new, and we were mm-hmm. doing scriptaculous and uh, prototype and pain. We, we we did a lot of pain JS <laughs> and hurt JS. You know, yeah, things have come a long way since then. They really have.
1: I mean, yeah, in, in the late '90s, it
0: seemed like everyone was writing their own templating
1: libraries, and to some degree, that hasn't really changed. But uh, it's less central.
0: Yep. Uh, so, so you kind of got into this web thing. You were writing Perl, um, mm-hmm. and and then you had to do what? You uh, had I to mean, do JavaScript on the front end, just kind of. I mean, of course,
1: back then everyone was full stack. It was the only mode of development. Um, we had graphic designers who worked for us, and they were used to doing like magazine layouts. Uh-huh. Um, so they didn't know anything about HTML or they, they were like, well, here's a Photoshop file. And that, that, that they just wanted no further involvement at that point. Oh, wow. Uh, um, and we're just starting, like, uh, at that, at the first ISP I worked for, we was just starting to get that, you know, we got, we ended up actually hiring, like, front-end developers there for the first time of, like, people who were, like, doing the HTML, but weren't, comfortable with JavaScript yet. So we still had to like, you know, so I was like doing that part for them. Right. Um, and like trying to put together environments that let us like build websites quickly that, uh, that could integrate these workflows. And of course that's a super awkward place to integrate a workflow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, oh, well I have this static page and I need you to make it do things. Uh, but I want to be able to come back and change the layout later. And we don't, and you know, CSS yeah. is pretty primitive. Uh, yeah. I do not. I do not have nostalgia for those times. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do not blame you. It's it's just interesting to to kind of dig into this and say, uh, at least to people who are coming in from a, a place where they're newish, you know, mm-hmm. any any time within the last ten years, and have them realize, you know what, we've we've come a long way. I mean, all the things that oh, we yeah. complain about now, it's, <laughs> it's 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 in a lot of ways, it's nothing compared to what we had to do before. But I mean, that's the way of technology, right? You know, right, right. They, they used yeah. to have to pull the seeds out of the cotton that they picked by hand. And then <laughs> um, Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin. And all of a sudden, you know, that became right. a whole lot easier. And we were able to have people do more interesting, more uh, powerful stuff. And it's <laughs> the way things always go.
1: For sure. I mean, uh, you do occasionally see people trying to valorize the past as like, well, it was simpler then. You, you know, you could just, it was easier to learn. And it's like, ah, it really wasn't because you had to do so much more just to do anything. Uh-huh. Like simple things took so much longer back then. Uh, you know, you look at like all the interactivity on a modern web app and you could do that in 2002, mm-hmm. but basically the only people doing it were Google. Yeah, you, know, you had Gmail just launching sometime around there, and it was like so much better in Google Maps, mm-hmm. uh, and they were so much better than anything anyone else was doing. And so it was like that was the promise, but no one else was there.
0: Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that it really, in a lot of ways, comes down to what we understand. And right. so, um, you know, as we push into the future and we get new technologies that new do different things, do new things, um, expose new ideas, and expose new ways of measuring and looking you know we have the privacy debates these days and stuff and right. it's it's not because we don't understand the issues um in a lot of ways it's just that the technology is so new that we don't understand all of the implications of what we're doing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so yeah you know it was it a simpler time well in some ways because if we had moved <laughs> ahead from there yeah we would have understood very well what we had uh, the fact of the matter is, is we're moving ahead so quickly now that it's it's very hard to understand what all the impacts are until we've long moved past something.
1: It's true. So, yeah, I mean, I gave a uh, talk at Open Source and Feelings last year, which was essentially specifically on the whole thing of like, here's some old technology, and and that that I mean, it came out of having heard someone talk about the whole thing of ah, it used to be better, and I'm like. I mean, mm-hmm. on the one hand, um, these th- 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 there's a lot of older technology that's now looked down on that was really solving problems for us back then. Right. And I wouldn't use it today necessarily, but that doesn't mean that it didn't have its place in history. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the talk ended up being basically about what were the what were the use cases that things that. Are no longer no longer have that cachet. What were those use cases back when they were new? Why were we excited when those came out? You know why why was my why is MySQL the most common uh, database used in Web Dev? Like when clearly Postgres is a better database. Um, there are some good reasons for that, right? Yep. And and most of those have to do with how it was being distributed when it first came out versus how Postgres was distributed. Postgres was a pain in the ass to set up still yeah. kind of is, but it's not, you know, <laughs> it's easy enough now that you don't really have that excuse anymore.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, open source and feelings. I, I've never actually been, but Carrie mm-hmm. Miller a friend of mine and it just seems like a great conference to. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah I'll Can't say enough good things that. about Yeah. <laughs> so um, the thing that we had you on for was to talk about NPM. Do you still work for NPM Inc.? I, I do. I do. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that's like? Because, um, and then I had, I'll just preface this by saying that I had Isaac Schluter on earlier Mm -hmm. and we talked about kind of the journey through NPM, but I don't know if people really understand um, like what it's like to be part of this company that works on something that's so core to a community and... (sighs) In particular, you know, Isaac's kind of the, he's the CEO, but he's also kind of the face of the project. Right. But the rest of you all really contribute a lot to what we use. So I'm curious, like, what what is it like to be in there and and how did you get involved in in the way that you are?
1: I mean, yeah, Isaac's primary contribution at this point is TAP and uh, uh, NYC and still mostly TAP as far as that's concerned. What do you mean by TAP? Uh, the his uh he has a test library. Oh, okay. Called uh, uh Node Tap, and uh, it impl- implements the Test Anywhere protocol, uh-huh. which is the testing framework that Perl originally developed, and so that's what like all of NPM's tests are written in. Oh, okay. Um, so he that, that's like his hobby project at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't do a lot of code anymore, just because turns out being a CEO is in fact a job. No way. (laughs) I know it turns out they have to do stuff. They're not just like sitting in their office and counting money. Um, (laughs) or, you know, as a startup counting bills, but, um, I mean, to some degree working at NPM is like working at any other company, right? It's, we're just a company. Um, but at an other level, like as far as the actual work that we do, um, particularly because I work on the command line tool, which is um, directly, it's like you work on the website, it's a lot like working on any very popular website right. that a lot of people are going to be impacted by. Working on the command line tool is, um, we're, we're essentially shipping package software, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that's a weird place to be in, in 2017. And so we spend a substantial amount of our time on interacting with the community. Um, So we have one of the most active issue trackers on GitHub. Um, I think we came in at number five when they released those stats. Oh, wow. Which was kind of terrifying, but also validating because it felt like it was that
0: busy. You're well-loved. We'll just... (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are using it, and so there are a lot of... And and that's where we tell everyone to go for support. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. That's probably yeah. the biggest reason that we get so much traffic there. Um, we have a support team now, but uh, people are still told, go to the issue tracker, file an issue. So we got a lot of things like you know, proxy issues, and proxy issues are probably the single most common problem that oh, people really? have. Yeah. Uh, just because they're... Uh, you know, they just tried it and it didn't work from their perspective. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And we look at it and go, yeah, that's because you're behind some weird corporate proxy and, uh, we don't auto configure from like your windows config. Uh Uh, It'd be awfully nice to do that kind of thing, but there are a lot of fiddly details there and no one's ever like sat down and worked that out. And a lot of them are in the registry. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Oh, Windows. that that takes me back. Anyway, um, So, so how did you get started at NPM? Uh, well,
1: I mean, it it was, uh, two years ago and, and they had a job ad out, which was, you know, we need a client developer Mm -hmm. and basically everything about the position was, uh, it, it sounded like exactly the sort of thing that I like to do, um, you know, writing software to support other software developers, um, paid open source work, um, and, uh, they had, so, uh, a Richard L, uh, Aria Stewart is a friend of mine mm-hmm. and we were actually working together in Boston. Um, they had previously tried to recruit her and she was like, well, I just took a job at PayPal, but you should talk to my friend, Rebecca. She's, she would, she would be totally up for this. Um, but I actually just applied through the end of the website in the, the normal way. And, uh, a month later, we like uh, maybe it was two two or three weeks later. They did they did their interviews, and uh, that was that was it. It was it was, in many ways, very much like applying for any other job, except that uh, npm doesn't do tech screens. So that was definitely uh, uh, that felt very different.
0: They don't do tech screens.
1: No, we don't do tech screens when we interview. So so. I, I, on the on the basis that in our experience, um, tech screens don't really tell us anything. okay uh, in that like um, we, we have all done tech screens on people and then had them turn out to not do well. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we've also and but of course, then you don't have the the opposite answer of like somebody who didn't do well on the tech screen. you probably didn't hire, but they might have done fine. Uh, and we decided we just weren't learning anything from from doing that. Um so the interviews I mean the fact that I had a bunch of published open source made it I think a lot easier uh because mm-hmm. they could go, hey, look at all this code that I wrote. I, at that point I had a uh Gearman implementation. Uh, Gearman is a message server, message bus. It's a protocol. It was okay. uh developed by the Live Journal people back when Live Journal was a thing. Um and it has implementations in a dozen languages, um, and so I wrote a Node implementation of the client and server, and I actually wrote a server implementation. Um, and so then that was like my my example of look, I can do Node well.
0: <laughs> um, that's that's cool. Yeah. So what, what are they looking for then? If they don't do a tech screen, are they just looking for personality and culture fit or? Yeah.
1: So uh, one of the advantages NPM has, of course, is that uh, NPM has a embarrassment of riches whenever we put up a job ad. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never have a problem finding qualified people right. applying. Uh, it, it really is different when you're on the other end of that. Where it's like everyone applying, you know, half the people applying haven't even used, you know, you're primarily a JavaScript shop, and half the people applying haven't used JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ah, well, we can teach it to you, and that's totally a thing that we could do, but really rather
0: not. Um, yeah, I could tell stories <laughs> about that. I'm hiring a new executive assistant, and yeah. uh, I did phone screenings, and I screened out about two thirds of the people I talked to.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we do a lot of f- w- filtering at the phone screen level. Yeah. Um. So that when it comes time to do interviews, we're looking at maybe mm-hmm. eight people. Um, and we're interviewing for culture fit, but we're very clear. We try to be very clear on what we mean by that, mm-hmm. and what we're what what are the criteria that we're looking for for a particular position. So, like when we've hired for the uh, Clyde, which actually we've only done once since I was there, um, and that's when we hired Kat Marchand. Okay. Uh, But uh, we're very clear that the skill that we thought that was going to be hardest to find was somebody who would be able to interact with the community well. So all of our interview questions were centered around that and like being able to remain calm when people are mad at you, Mm -hmm. um, to be able to be constructive in the face of, you know, because when things aren't working, people are unsurprisingly frustrated and not showing their best face. Right. And we can't, you can't ramp that up. I mean, if mm-hmm. you ramp that up, we've all seen issue trackers or people do that. Yep. And it's not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just people being human at each other. Yeah.
0: But yeah, but the uh, best case scenario is, is it's I'm frustrated. Well, I'm yeah. frustrated too. And the worst case scenario is then you have some major issue online.
1: Right. Um, so that's what we were trying to interview for. And we we're trying to assess when we were talking to our candidates. Mm-hmm. And we told them all this at the start of our interviews that like, we're not going to be asking you to, que- you know, tricky tech questions. We're going to be asking you questions about how you interact with communities. Right. That, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: And I also like the idea of and this is what I've done with the executive assistant role as well, was, yeah, I mean, I was looking for somebody that I felt like I could work with, but I specified that into uh, personality traits and skills because otherwise I wind up hiring somebody that's like me and that's not actually what I need. And so if I can nail it down to... Um, you know, they need to be self-driven and autonomous because I don't want to babysit them, um, right. you know, and they, they have these particular skills or they seem to be able to pick up how to use WordPress and, you know, the handful of other mm-hmm. tools that I need. Yeah, that, that's that's what I'm looking for. You know, they're detail-oriented right. and, and, and just stuff like that rather than go off of, well, I just need an assistant. I just need Yeah, somebody, yeah. I mean, the
1: like, culture fit gets thrown out, around a lot. And if you don't specify, and then it just becomes whatever your unconscious biases are. Yep. If you specify it, it's actually a really important criteria.
0: Yeah. But the other thing is, is, you know, putting biases aside, if you know what you need, then you're going to hire what you need instead of... Right, right. Yeah. Instead of the default, whatever your setup is pushing you towards. So your personal makeup is pushing you toward. Right. So, So what is it like day to day working on NPM? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming people have this grandiose idea, and then when I think about it, I'm like, they're probably coding just like me.
1: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, there's, it's, it's really not. Uh, you know, it's. Um, so we have a two-week release cycle, and that impacts uh, these days, and that that impacts our our how our work goes. Okay. Um, we have general. Uh, I mean in an ideal world, we would just work on stuff and whatever was ready when the release day came, that's what goes out in it. Right. And that's what we've always said we wanted, but in practice you go, I'm planning to have this in the release. And then you really push to have it in the release. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, and so the release, the release week we is spent, um, with much more of a focus on that. So there's like picking out existing pull requests that are ready to land, making sure those get landed. And, um, and that's actually surprisingly time consuming in part because like anything that's not ready to land, you have to be able to give sufficient feedback to people that they can go do it. Right. Um, and checking back on all of the old ones, we have about 60 or 70 PRs that just out outstanding at any given time. Um, most of which are missing tests or documentation or some other key piece. And it's like, well, uh, and, and, you know, that like, like I said, it sits at about that level. Um, so new ones come in and old ones go out. It's kind of so, surprises me just how high that is, but at the same time, it's, it's not been going up. So I'm, I'm pretty okay with that. Mm-hmm. I mean the rest of the time it, it's either you're working on a feature that is that we've decided as a team is a uh, priority for the community or we're working on a feature that's a priority for the business. Um, or we're fixing bugs, uh, and that's entirely based on like a judgment call of how important is this. Is this important enough to, to block the feature work that we're working
0: on? So I'm wondering, is is there a feature or a problem that you've solved that you're especially proud of? So we've
1: fixed a uh, a really esoteric Eno int issue um, a couple of, like a month ago. And, of course, I brought that up, and then I'm like... And what was the details on that? I don't remember. Go look that up. <laughs> uh, it, it was sufficiently weird. Like that was one where it was. This had been um, outstanding for us for God I, I, months. Um, oh right. So this this was uh, specifically about um, sometimes people would get uh, it was the cash mismatch one that uh that was really on my mind. So so the problem was this. Users were occasionally getting SHA sum errors when downloading tarballs from the registry, which absolutely should not be possible. Um we get d- we download through a uh uh something called Write stream atomic which uh flushes everything out to a temporary file name. And only when it's absolutely done with the download, then it renames it over atomically to replace the existing file. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so there's no way that that should be able to be incomplete. And this ended up being a problem in um, NPM registry client, which, uh, and, uh bringing up the patch here ah yes so so they' were getting these shot errors and what was it and what we finally noticed was that they only happened there were, people would get a failure and then it would go to a retry and on the retry they would get the shasam error mm-hmm. and the shasam error like it should never be writing a partial tarball chair cache and yet somehow it was okay. and yeah and what it turned out was happening was the um, the way the error handlers were set up in uh, npm registry client, and this was not a new thing. This had been set up this way for like four years, um, but it just for whatever reason, timing issues, people were getting timeouts sometimes on their initial tarball fetch, and. So and most people never see those. But mm-hmm. if you're like behind a proxy or a slow internet connection, then you see them more. Right. So it's like, well, the Chinese users see it a lot. And then then we tell them to point, then we point them at, you know, CNPM and they're fine. Cause that's, that's a uh, registry mirror that exists mm-hmm. behind the firewall.
0: Oh, interesting. Uh, I didn't realize yeah. that.
1: Yeah. It, it, we don't run it. It's run by um, some organization in uh, China. But yeah, they, they maintain their own registry mirror behind the firewall huh. and mirror out via Singapore. Cool. And uh, just because the firewall makes requesting stuff from the registry so slow. Um, but this was just a matter of uh, a error callback being called more than once.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so the first time it would call it, everything would be fine, That would call it a second time. And so the two you know, yeah, that should never happen. It was terrible. So they stepping on each other. And, uh, uh, and But tracking this down, it was just like a, there was like a, there was a side comment in chat where somebody was like, I wonder if this is being caused by something like this. I'm like, all right, I think that's enough. I can go dig in. <laughs> uh, it, it was really hard because we didn't have any way to reproduce it. Uh, until we saw that it was on a, they, like it was, it was really noticing that they were always failing once. And that was the retry that was giving us a Shasam error. And once we had that, then we could actually track the damn thing down. Right. The actual patch is like, you know, a couple of lines, right? but, uh, streams inevitably are the source of the things that I find, uh, uh, of the, of the error of the errors that I've found trickiest and most interesting to solve.
0: Right. So um, the, so we've, we've talked about how you got started programming and how you yeah. got into JavaScript, and we've talked a bit about NPM. I'm curious, are there other things that you contribute to outside of NPM?: I have a
1: bunch of like modules that I do when I'm working on my own things.-huh. Uh, I don't contribute to like any other major public open source projects. I just, but I have a ton of modules on uh, on NPMjs.
0: Oh cool! Uh, we'll have to put a link to that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll have a shout out to one of them. So
0: is one of them your favorite?
1: Uh, well, most recently I've been working on an RTF parser, uh, an RTF to HTML converter. Interestingly, there are some uh, that are already on the on the registry, but like the one I had been using, um, I ran into a problem with it. I'm like, oh, that's fine. I'll go patch it. And I go into it, and it's bundling a binary, and then is running the binary. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So an RTF, it turns out, is, uh, I mean, any implementation is going to be incomplete because it's essentially to write it to a complete version of RTF, you have to fully simulate Microsoft Word in in memory. Oh, is that all? (laughs) Yeah, that's all. I mean, it's real easy. (laughs) it's basically a bunch of editor commands it's a a string of editor commands that you issue to Microsoft Word and then that gives you a document when it's done oh wow so like there are commands that take arguments that um, where the the argument is the code from the Windows header file Mm -hmm. and like really Microsoft You, you put that into a spec that you published aren't you embarrassed but this was you know the 90s so no No, they were not embarrassed at all. (laughs) Nice. Nowadays, maybe.
0: The new Microsoft. Yeah. I've been spending a lot of time with the new Microsoft these days. Yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. Yeah, they are. They're doing some really interesting stuff. Uh, They keep inviting us. The JavaScript Jabber uh, Mm -hmm. bunch, they keep inviting us out to their conferences. So we get to go. We get to talk to cool people. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, the last part of the show... Are you trying to figure out how to stay current with Ruby and Rails? I'm putting on a two-day online conference called Ruby Remote Conf. You can check it out at rubyremoteconf.com. Like I said, it's a two-day conference where you can come and listen to speakers and experts from all around the world talk to you about issues pertaining to Ruby and web development. We have an online Slack channel, a roundtable discussion on Zoom, and all of the talks are given over Google Hangouts, and all of the talks will be streamed to you live. Come check us out at rubyremotecomp.com. We get to go, yeah. we get to talk to cool people, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, the last part of the show, and I kind of need to get there because I have another call here in about 10 minutes, um, <laughs> is the picks. So you've been on the show. You know what picks are. Um, yep. But just to remind our listeners, uh, picks are essentially stuff that you want to shout out about. It could be c- code related or not code related um, so yeah just whatever's kind of making your life happy these days um, what do you have for us
1: so the first one was that uh, rtf to html library that i've written mm-hmm. uh i'm pretty happy with where it's ended up um, um we'll include a link in the show notes i'm sure yep um rather than trying to like read that out it's a, a namespace so it's at Yarna slash rtf to html mm-hmm. um Next one would be, so I had a, a recent Twitter discussion came out with, um, some of the more obscure and depressing parts of American history, uh, and that, that they aren't as wide, they they aren't super widely known. And so I was like, ah, you know, people need to read about this stuff. So my other two are a people's history of the United States, which is a classic, um, you know, revisiting of American history by, uh, Howard Zinn um, that instead of talking about like the history of the United States as a government, it talks about the history of the United States as a people and where were everyday people throughout the history of the U S and the other related book is, uh, lives my teachers told me, uh, everything your American history textbook got wrong. So, and that's exactly what it says on the, uh,
0: <laughs> in the title. All right. Um, well, I'm going to go ahead and uh, do a couple of picks myself. Uh, the, fir- the first one is, um, this is something I've had for a while, but I really, really um, enjoy using it. And that's my iPad Pro. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to put a link in for that. Um, I-, I also like the Apple Pencil that doesn't come with it. You have to buy it, but um, it's really nice. And then the, the keyboard cover that comes with it. When I'm on an airplane, um, I found that my laptop, which is a 15-inch MacBook Pro, It's just a little bit too big to set on the seat back tray. Um, But my iPad is just the right size. And so when I'm traveling, it's nice to have. um, It also has terrific speakers on it. So, yeah, when I'm in a hotel room or something, I just let it blast out whatever I'm watching. And it's terrific. So uh, I'm going to shout out about all of those things. And I'll put links to those in the show notes as well. Um, Rebecca, if people want to follow you on Twitter or see what you're up to, what are the best places to do that? So
1: on Twitter, I'm Rebecca O-R-G, um, and uh, that's that's the best place to follow me.
0: All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show and talking to us. It's kind of fun to see the inner workings of uh, both you and NPM. <laughs> so, it was great talking to you. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap this one up and... Um, I think we're talking to Valeri Karpov next week or on the next episode. So keep an eye out for that.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.